Music was always Hilton Childers' fate, probably even before he started playing the drums as a three-year-old. He is, after all, the son of Cape Town jazz legend Tony Shilder, and thus born into a musical dynasty out of Lotus River Township. And for Hilton, it seems, there's no separation between music and life. Take this song, for example. It's called Rebirth, and Hilton Schilder composed it on a painkiller-fueled giant piano in the ceiling above the hospital bed where he was recovering after a serious round of cancer surgery. That sounds like a good story, don't you think? We did at Sound Africa, so we sent out a reporter to get Hilton to tell the story. And although he did do that, he didn't quite stop there. And that's why we call this Sound Africa podcast Hilton Childers Catheter Symphony. It's produced by Lars Christian Overland, and my name is Rasmus Bitz. But uh, since I'm driving, I think I need you to hold the microphone. Oh, sure. <laughs> okay, it's, um, just like that? It's a, it's a very simple thing for, oh. a, for a jazz musician to use. I can give you this and then you get... Okay. And then you kind oh, of... Oh, that's great. Yeah, it, so you hold it about this, this distance. Yes, good. Okay, fantastic. Okay, what we're going to do now is we're going to go and get my medicine uh, at a friend's place. Uh, my, my medicine is cannabis oil. I'm using it to treat my cancer. I've been on it for six, five months. And um, it seems to be working. So here we go, we're going to there first. This, um, this area uh, uh, we're in, it's called Grassy Park. Uh, I lived here when we were newly married, when we were newly uh, married. This is my wife's father's house. So it's just the two of us left. And uh, everyone's out of there. So just me and my wife in the house. She looks after dad and her sister and her husband and the children. Yeah. So it's quite a big house, as you can see. And it's uh, a lot of freedom. Got a nice big yard as well. Yeah. That side. Should we turn around here? No, no, you can go. You can uh, turn left. And you know, here, yeah, um, this is where I'm, you know, I'm, I'm quite a famous somebody. And yet the people in the area don't really know me, you know. In in my neighborhood where I come from, where I grew up, I'm, I'm a legend there, you know, because, you know, I'm one of the guys that came out of the the flats, you can go, the flats and um, made something of it, you know. We grew up between a lot of gangs. There's the place, you see the can Spice? Yeah. Just have a look there. Okay, so that's the place. Okay, we can go. And of course I was, I was playing music, there was always a piano in the house and there's always a drum kit or a bass in the house or just uh, percussion, you know. So there's always music in that house and of course a lot of musicians used to come there. My dad, my dad played with people like Winston Mankunku, Ezra Tukana, Monty Weber, um, Cecil Rica, these all the jazz sports, you know. So I, I grew up in a house that was just like that, you know, just full of music all the time. So that's where I really met all the, like, the cream of South African, of the South African musicians or the Cape musicians, you know, Abdul Ibrahim. 
So you basically learned to play at home? Definitely. Now that was my main university was home. And then of course the guys that I grew up, I mean like my father and my uncles, that is a great university because these guys would not sit and teach us, they would show us stuff, you know what I mean? Now we were, you were, uh, we were talking about um, about growing up with uh, under apartheid, right? I didn't feel it too much when I was a child until until later when I started going to high school, when I started seeing all the things because I didn't believe in apartheid because I saw all my dad's friends were all different colors. You know what I mean? It was totally mixed, so I didn't see the difference between white and black as a child growing up. When you, when, when you grow up like that, you don't say, "Oh, that's a white person, that's a black person, that's a colored person, that's an Indian." No, I never grew up like that. For me, my, you know, my father and them, they felt more the restrictions because my dad and them had to play behind curtains. If there was white musicians in the band, the, 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 the non-white musicians would be behind the curtain. So you'd have like the drummer, the white drummer, and maybe the bass player in front. Crazy, eh? And, and behind the curtain was my dad and the saxophone player, maybe, you know? And um, it was so ridiculous that they had to stop it, you know? It was like, really ridiculous. Because my dad, he said, he, I'm only going to do this twice. <laughs> but, but I mean, he said that was the reality of, of the day. They also had to use the, the back entrance. And then, you know, my dad is one of the first guys to say, you know what? If you want my music so bad, I want to come through the front entrance and my band. Music provided the whole uh, um, escape from the whole uh, horror of apartheid and that, you know, that keeping away. You couldn't keep people away from good music. Or from music anyway so that was the common de denominator throughout the struggle was the music and you'll see even on all these big rallies with the UDF and the ANC rallies uh, when they were still banned you'll find us playing you know the music the people would come to listen to the politicians talk but they came for the music actually you see and our music also represented what was happening in uh, in the country at the moment you know and that's why that's why our music's banned was banned and you were playing in a band that was like a rebel band at one point the genuines yeah the genuines that was me and Mac McKenzie and we you know it was a time it was in the 80s there was it was a state of emergency yeah? uh, everyone was playing cover versions around us you know playing American music and you know and we were we were writing our writing our own stuff and we decided just to get this band together and to get rid of these these jazz guys that were hanging with us, not the jazz, I mean these guys that, you know, were into the cover versions, we started playing rock. Knowing that would chase them away, because they don't like rock. But our rock was really completely different, because we combined elements of the carnival that we did here. Really fast, really frenetic, punk, and, uh, uh, really driving rock, you know what I mean? We were in a cult band, you know? We have to turn left somewhere. Look, I just, I just drew on all the anger that happened when I got arrested in the, in the 70s when I still at school, you know what I mean? You know, and, and that's when I became active, you know, after the arrest. And, uh, and I started writing poems and stuff like that. Are oh, these cops now? But we, we have to start kind of these are cops, eh? Okay. Yeah. They're road, road cops. Yeah, they're just pulling cars off for anything. As we turn into the parking lot of a spur restaurant, Hilton asked me to turn off the recorder. 
We walk in, and in the smoking section at the back, we find two men in their 60s. One of them, a guy in a cowboy outfit, gives Hilton a couple of brown bottles I assume are full of cannabis oil. Soon, we're all sitting there, eating burgers and drinking beer while discussing how exactly the cannabis oil works by turning the cancer cells against each other. But let's get back to the reason why I wanted to meet Hilton Shielder in the first place. Rebirth came about in 2010. I was diagnosed with cancer, the um, cancer in my um, kidney. As a result, I had an nephrectomy and um, when I came out of this operation, uh, I was in intensive care, I remember waking up to this amazing sound of music in my head. And um, Lilting melody, and you know, my, my first thing when, when that happens, it, it happens really seldom. When it does happen, I go straight to the piano or, or to a guitar. But, I, but of course, I had all these tubes coming out of me and this art machine and all this stuff. And um, it must have been the morphine, but when I lay back, I, I pictured a piano on the ceiling, you know. And uh, I went into the piano for about four hours and, and I managed to work it out. And when I got home, and that was the result of of it, you know, rebirth. Hilton named the song in celebration of a battle won against cancer. Reborn again is how he felt afterwards, he says, and the music is based on the experience. And if you listen carefully, you can hear the hospital sounds finding the way into the tune. But the fighting isn't over, and the cannabis oil doesn't protect him entirely. Because when I call Hilton a couple of days later, the tone of his voice has changed. I can hear pain in his words, echoes from cement walls, and I can hear people talking in the background. Hilton tells me he's at the hospital, but he still wants to carry on with the interviews. So I head to one of Cape Town's biggest public hospitals, where I soon will learn that the story that brought my attention to one of Cape Town's legendary jazz musicians is about to repeat itself. So to carry on, where did we leave off? <laughs> A lot of things happened in the time that you that I haven't seen you. I got some kidney stones this last week was a total nightmare, you know. So much pain. So um, I've got a catheter in up here and uh, they train because because of the um, because of the um, the urine backing up, it kind of caused an infection in the one kidney that I do have. You know what I mean? I only have one kidney, so now they're worried about that. They're first going to sort that out, and once that's clear, they're thinking about taking my um, my bladder and have to walk around with a bag the rest of my life. But I don't want to go that way. That's why I'm doing the other. But I, 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 you know, afterwards I was thinking, I wonder if you'd be able to do a do an interview here because of the background noises and stuff like that, you know. But I mean, it's, it's okay, Because eh? I mean, it's part of the ambience, I guess, the hospital, you know, hearing that whole thing. And uh, at this stage, it's just also part of life. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, you, if you think back and describe, want to describe your father, mm. how, how do you see him? Um, very... Uh, well-dressed, very eloquent, and uh, um, 
He taught me basically everything I know. You know I mean, a uh, uh, self-educated man. He's self-taught piano player and uh, just a good round all, all round good guy. You know. It's uh, a little bit hard to talk about. Can't talk about. I can't talk about it. I don't know why. I don't really don't know why. Maybe because you're in a hospital, but I think so. Are you tired of hospital? He died in a hospital bed. And I don't want to go out that way, man. I want to go out fighting, you know. I don't want to, I don't want to lie in a bed and die. I mean, if it has, has to be like that, if it comes to that, I told my wife, find the latest drug that'll get me out of bed so that I can have my last, if I'm going to die in 10 hours, I don't want to be lying dying in a bed. I want to be up, maybe playing piano or something, you know. That's my plan. You know, when you think about it, you know, these guys, we contributed such a lot. After everything he gave, he died in a fucking uh, Salvation Army hospital, you know. Anyway, that was, that's the, that was the positive side of it, this was that he, um, Instilled in me a certain sense of dignity and uh, and uh, 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 not taking shit from anybody, you know. Especially at that time, the white people, you know, he didn't uh, take shit from it. Oh, that sound again! Oh, here come the crickets again! <laughs> Attack of the killer bees. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not apologizing for emotion. I'm apologizing for not getting the story through, man. You know what I mean? Just as Hilton breaks down over the memory of his father again, the visiting hour at the hospital starts, and it all turns around in a matter of seconds. While all the other patients in the room remain alone in the beds, a small crowd of people stream in and fills up Hilton's bed with instruments. I want to ask Hilton about the new music he talks about hearing about how the pain from what he's going through is materializing as music and how it sounds like Hilton is writing another song from another hospital bed. But at the moment, he's busy playing the flute in his bed, surrounded by his friends. So I take the opportunity to talk to another patient in the ward. So you're just opposite side of the room from this guy lying there and playing a tiny little uh, Casio piano in his bed. Do you know who he is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's a very famous musician, composer, and uh, every day we get a new instrument to the ward and he starts playing with it, whether it's a nose flute or a, another flute or a guitar, and today it's that electronic keyboard, kid-sized one. But he's a uh, lovely entertainment, so yeah, I think I'll just spend a few weeks here. <laughs> he's already happy again. He's a happy guy, hey? Yeah, I know, but he's got big medical problems, hey? As Hilton's friends were locked in to leave his bedside when the visiting hour ends, I return to him again. I originally set out to talk to him about the process of writing a song from the hospital bed. 
And now, it seems, it might be happening all over again. And as it turns out, the inspiration to the new piece has a rather physical presence. Can, can you say one more time, please? Catheter. Catheter is this thing they put in my dick <laughs> to, um, so that the, the, the urine can flow properly. And it's, uh, you know, I can hear the music. I'm singing it to myself. I'm singing it in the bathroom. And I, I'm hearing the parts. I can see it, actually. I can see it on the piano. I can see where it's going, you know. The, the first part sounds really disjointed and almost like um, circus music. <laughs> so where that 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 starts? Where where does where, where does that come from? Well, that 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 comes from this fucking pain, you know, because pain 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 is funny. It's fucking painful, but it's funny because when you look at what what pain can do to people, you can turn them around being made into a little crying baby, you know what I mean, pain, you know, and uh, um, so, 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 so while I was suffering this, I was hearing this strange, like a strange kind of weird circus with creepy clowns and what is this guys that, that came around and this really circus of freaks, the, the bizarre circus where they got the lizard man, the guy's tongue splits and the guy that's made up like a bird, uh, it's, but now I kind of hear that kind of the strange kind of uh, uh, circus theme and then it goes, it goes more and as it starts getting ominous the, the melody starts getting sweeter you hear this strange ominous on the left side and the right side here because that's the pain going away you see yeah so then okay the catheter gets inserted and then suddenly the sweet melody takes over with still a little hint of that dark circus dancing around in the background there and that I think that's kind of the first part the first part of the catheter because I had that that idea you know what I mean and um, and so I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna be doing next you know I'm gonna be sitting with the catheter symphony I think people think I'm fucking mad when I when I, when I talk about how I compose you know are, are you afraid of, of turning crazy no, I am crazy. That's the thing, I am crazy. I'm not afraid of craziness. Craziness is part of my makeup, man. I mean, I've never been a normal person, you know. Craziness is part of my makeup. And, uh, um, but I think, I, think, I think most of the composers were like that, you know. You get crazy in terms of creativity, you know. Because you've got to be... You've got to be... be mad to create. You gotta be mad. You can't create as a fucking sane person. Sane people have no place in composition, you know what I mean? They're not like fucking um, uh, this guy that Hitler used to like. Uh, what is his name? The guy that Hitler used to like. He wrote the Ride of the Falcaries. The Falcaries. That composer. But Hitler loved him because of his straight. The team that was the Germanic. Okay, I don't know why uh, why why it got there, but but I believe that that uh, uh, to to create you gotta be crazy. You gotta um, for a composer to be normal. It's fucked. Uh, you gotta set your affairs in order so you can be 
violent in your creation, you know. That's what creation is about, violence. Uh, the, the fucking, um, don't mean violence in, in that way, I'm just talking about the, you know, things that get tossed in, you know, composition. Yeah, I don't know, I'm getting so emotional, I don't know why. I don't know, it's something happening to me, I don't know. Maybe because I'm talking the truth, eh? <laughs> I think maybe because I am fucking losing the plot because of um, of this, all the circumstances, you know. But I think a cry is good. A cry is good, you know. My mom always said, get it out. Because that's why men suffer from strokes, because they don't show their emotions. Cowboys don't cry. I don't know, I'm just very emotional. Can you see the toilet for a, a tissue, some tissues, please? Let me stand up a little bit uh, so that I can. Uh, no, that's fine. Whoa. See, you gotta move with this. Yeah, I don't know where to go. Have a look over here, man. Hey. Can have a look over here. Yeah. Should we have a look out over the town? That's it. Fuck, this is a graveyard here. Th that is... It's a cemetery, huh? Strange thing to see, like, from uh, like opposite the hospital, eh? Yeah, It is, eh? For me, it's totally bizarre to see a grave. Actually, it doesn't... It makes more sense, actually. But I don't know, I don't know. This is a very uh, other kind of graveyard. I mean, it looks like it. Tombstones and, and palm, palm trees. It's really strange, eh? Wow. It's not the nicest thing to no, see. No, it's not the nicest thing to see. <laughs> Let's go somewhere else. But actually, Hilton, since we're looking at this, yeah. what do you think comes after this life? After this life? I don't know, but um, I don't know. I'm sure I'll come back. That's a, it's a big machine. What's that? Sorry, sister, what is that? It's an X-ray machine. Oh, that's the most of it. No sense of your book. No fucking serious. It's time to leave Hilton for now, as he walks down the hallway, complaining about the lack of humor at the hospital with an inserted catheter, with pipes going to a bag of urine that he carries in his hand. I call him back three days later, and now he's back on his feet again, and I'm eager to hear about the catheter symphony, the piece of music he was working on from the hospital bed. Find him at home, in front of the piano, where the composition has developed. Very different atmosphere from when you were at the hospital than you 
showed me a little bit of that carnival. Yeah, but you see, I think the sound of that that instrument made it that like that, you know, like this is kind of. But is it also because you're feeling better now that it's a lighter part of the composition? I think so, yeah. I think it's it's more, I think it's because the dark part of it is really, I think I must, I must recreate that move. My recordings with Hilton is coming to an end, but before I leave, and Hilton finishes the catheter symphony, there's a place he wants to show me. A bird sanctuary, it turns out. That's enough. So, where are you taking us, Hilton? We're going to Rondefle, which is just down the road. It's a bird sanctuary. And it's right, I mean, it's right here, you know. While in this, you can call this like, this is where the lakes, this is where the lakes are, you know. We call them flays here. Right, here we go. To the lakes. What do you, what do you think of your legacy? When I look at my grandson, I'm going to start him young because I see, I see what was lacking in most. So you got to start him young with things. But I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take my from my example. I started when I was three years old. I think that's a reasonable time to start playing music. You know what I mean? And anyway, you can't go wrong with music because children that that, that study music and that play music are, um, are are able to learn faster. You know, he's a year old. Now. He's a year and two months. Yeah. Do you think he's going to be a part of the... Sh the uh no, I know it, I can see it from, you know, I saw it from the beginning, you know, from the first time. And I played the bow when he was sleeping. Oh, he lifted his arms up. I'll show you the video. He lifted his arms up, you know what I mean? With the bow. And that's how I welcome my kids into the world as well, you know, with the bow. It's just he must a week later. You were playing the bow and he reacted? Yeah, well, he was lying down. We saw him and brought him on the bed down. Everyone was having a look at him, you know, and to look at his baby, my first grandchild. And uh, I took the bow out, I started playing, and we were watching him, we filmed him, and then suddenly he turned his head, just lifted, lifted his arms up as the bow started. He started lifting his arms up, you know, and moving. And then the other things I can see, the musical things that he does, the way he is, you know, you know got things of him when he's like five months old and I'm playing a Chikoria Wayne Henderson concert and he's just grooving to that, you know, really, and you know, I can see he's totally into it, you know. Because I've got my own approach. I've got my own approach to music and I think I'll, I'll, I'll pass that on. It's a certain, that's, that's my legacy, you see, which I wish I can make a cause of, you know. But they won't because it goes against all the teachings of universities and people that read music, you know, 
<coughs> that they don't believe people that that can't read music and play. In what way is your approach different than the way they teach at school? Um, well, I think mine mine is more to do with sound, you know, more to do with sound than sight. You see, and colors. Colors, you say? Yeah, music's got colors in it, man. I always see colors when I play music. What does it take to write a really good piece of music? It takes oh, it takes just a little stream, a slight stream of something, you know, just an idea, glimpse of an idea, you know, to you get a little sound, the you know, you hear the sound, you put it down on the piano, and um there's maybe not that sound that you heard, but then that leads to something else. And sometimes it just leads to a really good composition, you know. Or else you like with with rebirth we I just hear this whole just hear the whole piece in my head, you know what I mean? The whole complete piece. But the uh, uh, compositions, you know, it's it's so abstract that you can't um, you know, you can't describe it and and everybody's got a different way of composing. Some people like like for instance, yeah, I feel so inspired of it, I can already hear, hear the music that's coming out of this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. All in good time. I mean, I'm 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 ready to put my masterpiece um, uh, uh, thing up with the symphony orchestra. It'll be it'll be soon, you know, a couple of years time, you know. I think that's the way uh, Catheter Symphony is uh, is heading, is heading into that that um, kind of almost like rounding off the, these 40 years or say 30 years of composition, you know, kind of rounding off so that I can go into another. Because um, I'm hearing, I'm starting to hear other music, you know what I mean? I'm hearing lots of music with lots of drones and I hear bows and all the, I hear, I'm hearing music with all the all the drone instruments of the world, you know? No, really, I'm really inspired. I'm actually glad we came here. It's really inspiring. Is, is there anything that you wish, you wish that I asked you about? My wife, I'm talking about my wife, man. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's one unsung hero here in this whole this whole story of Yilton Shoulder. It's my wife, Tesna. Amazing woman. We've been married for 33 years. You know, my wife is my rock. She stood by me through thick and thin. She never once told me to get a job, get a, t a real job. You know, she understood, the, she understood the music thing, you know, when we met. And, uh, of course, I mean, you need a special woman. If you're a musician and composer, you need a special woman in your life. And someone that can that can kind of steer you if you're going off the path, you know what I mean? And she's been, as I say, strength, you know, my strength, through everything. <laughs> Perfect. No. All right. All right, I that think, should we pu put push stop, actually? I think so. All right. Yeah, I need to go, go to the toilet as well. Okay. You've been listening to a Sound Africa podcast. It was produced by Last Christian Overland and edited by me. My name is Rasmus Beats. Thanks for listening. <laughs>